Chapter Eight of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter Eight. My messmates show me the folly of running in debt. The episode of Sholto McFoy. Now that I had been on board about a month, I find that my life is not disagreeable. I don't smell the pitch and tar, and I can get into my hammock without tumbling out on the other side. My messmates are good-tempered, although they laugh at me very much. But I must say that they are not very nice in their ideas of honor. A few days after I came on board, I purchased some tarts of the bumboat woman, as she is called. I wished to pay for them, but she had no change, and very civilly told me she would trust me. She produced a narrow book and said that she would open an account with me, and I could pay her when I thought proper. To this arrangement I had no objection, and I sent up for different things until I thought that my account must have amounted to eleven or twelve shillings. As I promised my father that I never would run in debt, I considered that it was then time that it should be settled. When I asked for it, what was my surprise to find that it amounted to two pounds fourteen shillings sixpence? I declared that it was impossible and requested that she would allow me to look at the items when i found that i was booked for at least three or four dozen tarts every day ordered by the young gentleman to be put down to mr simple's account i was very much shocked not only at the sum of money which i had to pay but also at the want of honesty on the part of my messmates but when i complained of it in the berth they all laughed at me at last one of them said peter tell the truth did not your father caution you not to run in debt yes he did replied i i know that very well replied he all fathers do the same when their sons leave them it's a matter of course now observe peter it is out of regard to you that your messmates have been eating tarts at your expense you disobeyed your father's injunctions before you had been a month from home and it is to give you a lesson that may be useful in after life that they have considered it their duty to order the tarts i trust that it will not be thrown away upon you go to the woman pay your bill and never run up another that i certainly shall not replied i but as i could not prove who ordered the tarts and did not think it fair that the woman should lose her money i went up and paid the bill with a determination never to open an account with anybody again but this left my pockets quite empty so i wrote to my father stating the whole transaction and the consequent state of my finances my father in his answer observed that whatever might have been their motives my messmates had done me a friendly act and that as i had lost my money by my own carelessness i must not expect that he would allow me any more pocket-money but my mother who added a postscript to his letter slipped in a five-pound note and i do believe that it was with my father's sanction although he pretended to be very angry at my forgetting his injunctions a few days before this mr falcon the first lieutenant ordered me to put on my side-arms to go away on duty i replied that i had neither dirk nor cocked hat although i had applied for them he laughed at my story and sent me on shore with the master who bought them and the first lieutenant sent up the bill to my father who paid it and wrote to thank him for his trouble that morning the first lieutenant said to me now mr simple we'll take the shine off that cocked hat and dirk of yours you will go in the boat with mr o'brien and take care that none of the men slip away from it and get drunk at the tap this was the first time that i had ever been sent away on duty and i was very proud of being an officer in charge I put on my full uniform, and was ready at the gangway a quarter of an hour before the men were piped away. We were ordered to the dockyard to draw sea stores, 
when we arrived there i was quite astonished at the piles of timber the ranges of storehouses and the immense anchors which lay on the wharf there was such a bustle everybody appeared to be so busy that i wanted to look every way at once close to where the boat landed they were hauling a large frigate out of what they called the basin and i was so interested with the sight that i am sorry to say i quite forgot all about the boat's crew and my orders to look after them two of the men belonging to the boat slipped away and on my return they were not to be seen i was very much frightened for i knew that i had neglected my duty and that on the first occasion on which i had been entrusted with responsible service what to do i did not know i ran up and down every part of the dockyard until i was quite out of breath asking everybody i met whether they had seen my two men many of them said that they had seen plenty of men but did not exactly know mine some laughed and called me a greenhorn at last i met a midshipman who told me that he had seen two men answering to my description on the roof of the coach starting for london and that i must be quick if i wished to catch them but he would not stop to answer any more questions i was proceeding on very disconsolately when as i turned a corner to my great delight i met my two men who touched their hats and said that they had been looking for me i did not believe that they told the truth but i was so glad to recover them that i did not scold but went with them down to the boat which had been waiting some time for us o'brien the master's mate called me a young sculping a word i had never heard before when we arrived on board the first lieutenant asked o'brien why he had remained so long he answered that two of the men had left the boat but that i had found them the first lieutenant appeared to be pleased with me observing as he had said before that i was no fool and i went down below overjoyed at my good fortune and very much obliged to o'brien for not telling the whole truth on a day or two afterwards we had a new messmate of the name of mcfoy i was on the quarter-deck when he came on board and presented a letter to the captain inquiring first if his name was captain sauvage he was a florid young man nearly six feet high with sandy hair yet very good-looking as his career in the service was very short i will tell at once what i did not find out till some time afterwards the captain had agreed to receive him to oblige a brother officer who had retired from the service and lived in the highlands of scotland the first notice which the captain had of the arrival of mr mcfoy was from a letter written to him by the young man's uncle this amused him so much that he gave it to the first lieutenant to read it ran as follows glasgow april twenty fifth our much esteemed and mutual friend captain mcalpine having communicated by letter dated fourteenth instant your kind intentions relative to my nephew sholto mcfoy for which you will be pleased to accept my best thanks i write to acquaint you that he is now on his way to join your ship the diomede and will arrive god willing twenty-six hours after the receipt of this letter as i have been given to understand by those who have some acquaintance with the service of the king that his equipment as an officer will be somewhat expensive i have considered it but fair to ease your mind as to any responsibility on that score and have therefore enclosed the half of a bank of england note for ten pounds sterling number three seven four two the other half of which will be duly forwarded in a frank promise to me day after to-morrow i beg you will make the necessary purchases and apply the balance should there be any to his mess account or any other expenses which you may consider warrantable or justifiable it is at the same time proper to inform you that sholto had ten shillings in his pocket at the time of his leaving glasgow the satisfactory expenditure of which i have no doubt you will inquire into as it is a large sum to be placed at the discretion of a youth only fourteen years and five months old 
I mention his age, as Sholto is so tall that you might be deceived by his appearance, and be induced to trust to his prudence in affairs of this serious nature. Should he at any time require further assistance beyond his pay, which I am told is extremely handsome to all king's officers, I beg you to consider that any draft of yours, at ten days' sight, to the amount of five pounds sterling English, will be duly honoured by the firm of Monteith, Killop, and Company of Glasgow. Sir, with many thanks for your kindness and consideration, I remain your most obedient, Walter Monteith. The letter brought on board by McFoy was to prove his identity. While the captain read it, McFoy stared at him like a wild stag. The captain welcomed him to the ship, asked him one or two questions, introduced him to the first lieutenant, and then went on shore. The first lieutenant had asked me to dine in the gun-room. I supposed that he was pleased with me because I had found the men, and when the captain pulled on shore, he also invited Mr. McFoy, when the following conversation took place. "'Well, Mr. McFoy, you have had a long journey. I presume it is the first that you have ever made?' "'Indeed it is, sir,' replied McFoy, "'and sorely I have been pestered.' had i minded all they whispered in my lug as i came along i had need been made of money saxpence here saxpence there saxpence everywhere sich extortion i ne'er dreamed of how did you come from glasgow by the wheel-boat or steamboat as they cud it to london where they charged me saxpence for taking my baggage on shore a wee boxy nae bigger than yon cocked-up hat i would fain carry it myself but they wouldna let me how much of your ten shillings have you left inquired the first lieutenant smiling hoot sir lieutenant how came you for to ken that eh it's my uncle monteith at glasgow why as i sit here i've but three shillings and a penny of it left but there's a smell here that's no canny so i'll just go up again into the fresh air when mr mcfoy quitted the gun-room they all laughed very much after he had been a short time on deck he went down into the midshipman's berth but he made himself very unpleasant quarrelling and wrangling with everybody it did not however last very long for he would not obey any orders that were given to him on the third day he quitted the ship without asking the permission of the first lieutenant when he returned on board the following day the first lieutenant put him under an arrest and in charge of the sentry at the cabin door during the afternoon i was under the half-deck and perceived that he was sharpening a long clasp-knife upon the after-truck of the gun i went up to him and asked him why he was doing so and he replied, as his eyes flashed fire, that it was to avenge the insult offered to the blood of the McFoy. His look told me that he was in earnest. I was very much alarmed, and thought it my duty to state his murderous intentions, or worse might happen. So I walked up on deck and told the first lieutenant what McFoy was intending to do. Mr. Falcon laughed, and shortly afterwards went down on the main deck. McFoy's eyes glistened, and he walked forward to where the first lieutenant was standing but the sentry, who had been cautioned by me, kept him back with his bayonet. The first lieutenant turned round, and, perceiving what was going on, desired the sentry to see if Mr. McFoy had a knife in his hands, and he had it, sure enough, open and held behind his back. He was disarmed, and the first lieutenant, perceiving that the lad meant mischief, reported his conduct to the captain on his arrival on board. The captain sent for McFoy, who was very obstinate, and when taxed with his intentions would not deny it, or even say that he would not again attempt it so he was sent on shore immediately and returned to his friends in the highlands we never saw any more of him but i heard that he obtained a commission in the army and three months after he had joined his regiment was killed in a duel resenting some fancied affront offered to the blood of mcfoy chapter eight